Oh, man. Hello, and welcome to Robot Congress Classics, which I have affectionately termed Rocco Classico. Rocco Classico. Like, Classico is the better one. No, not really. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. No, not really. But it's nice to think of it that way, isn't it? Well, here we are. Episode 2. I have a lot of fondness for this episode. It was our first recorded episode. Morrison had all the confident, funny candidates, and then settled for me. We met at a bar in Brooklyn, talked about names for the show... A show about law meeting technology, Robot Congress, was actually the last name we picked. The only name left sitting on the dodgeball court when all the other bad names had been sent home for inappropriate behavior or unoriginal thinking. I was super excited about this episode topic, which is probably why Morrison decided to record it first and then play it second. Because it's all about artificial intelligence. But when someone says artificial intelligence, I start thinking Star Trek, Star Wars, robots and computers, not Skynet. I think if we did another artificial intelligence episode, which I would love because I find it fascinating, it would involve automation in the workforce and how, if we make it that far as a species, the workforce as a whole will be drastically reduced because of it. Not just blue collar jobs, not just drivers, transportation, etc., but the jobs we think of as safe. Creative jobs, jobs that require complex decision making. All of that can be handled by cute little Wally in the future. Whether it's a black and red hellscape of our own making, where the rich and powerful live in gold towers, while the seething masses struggle in megacity slums, scrabbling for food and the few temporary day-to-day -day open job positions to purchase a few extra units of Soylent Green, or a blue and yellow utopia where we pursue our passions and hobbies without fear of poverty thanks to a universal income, all of the necessary work taken care of by automated service bots. Not to mention the fact that right after we had that recorded episode, I saw Bicentennial Man. Again, note, after we recorded that episode, I saw the 1999 movie Bicentennial Man featuring Robin Williams as a robot that becomes a man. Anyway, I have tons of pop cultural and general media knowledge on AI and AI-adjacent topics. Ghost in the Shell Futurama Star Trek Star Wars. Law-wise, we also address the idea of a self-driving car. If it hits someone, who's responsible? If it has to choose between hitting someone on the street or someone on the curb, who does it choose? It's an awesome discussion. We could also talk about all this stuff all over again because there have been real advances in situations since our original talk regarding self-driving cars. Man, I want to talk about this stuff again. And sex bots. We also talk about sex box. And data. We talk about Star Trek. Ugh, love Star Trek. Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Fight me. All right, that's enough from me. Please enjoy this episode. I can say that it was not an easy episode to record. Imagine a tall building, tight corridors, a small door, Morrison sitting across from me in a small audio recording room, it warm and humid out, the audio producer staring at my back from his mighty position of all-hearing judgment. Such a sweaty day. But now, on with the show. And stick around for the post-episode bonus scene. This is a HeadGum Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Robot Congress. I'm Ryan Morrison. And I'm Austin Hoffman. Welcome, welcome. This week, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence. What is going to happen when we eventually create a computer smart enough to do something bad? Let's say we have artificial intelligence. We already do. I mean, if you look at your phone and you type a word wrong 30 times, your phone learns that, okay, this is how we're going to spell that word from now on. It's incorrect, but whatever. 
Is that learning? No. I mean, not in a true sense, but it is learning in a basic sense that it's being taught something. It's going to use that going forward. It's correcting itself. It's correcting itself. And it's going to only evolve. That stuff's only not your phone. Your phone's never going to go out and murder. But we're now creating artificial intelligence that is getting to a level of intelligence that I don't know if you can say it's going to think for itself, but it's going to eventually make decisions by itself that don't necessarily have human input, where a human might have taught a computer to learn that computer then learns so much that it makes a decision for itself. And let's say it does something wrong. Let's say it kills someone. The popular sci-fi scenario is that a computer determines resources are better if it kills all the humans on the ship. We need to conserve air. The best way to conserve air, I have figured out as a computer, is to kill everyone. No other person who programmed that didn't say that, didn't teach it that. All the person who programmed it did was, we want to maintain as much air as possible. This computer has been teaching itself and doing things and running for so long that now it is of, quote unquote, mind that it has decided to mass murder. That's why it's important to reset your computer every once in a while. That's right. Always reset. But in all seriousness, who is responsible if that happens? So I think that the first thing is that you will end up with a beaten computer burning, thrown in a bush. Uh, but Office space style, just hit the fax machine yes, with a bat. Yes, uh, with, with a bat. But yes, you're going to punish the programmer. They were the ones that didn't think to do it. And if there's anything about lawsuits, it's because you failed to see the consequences of your actions. But so that's an interesting point. And to do what we're going to do and bring it back to the law a little bit, the word tort is not a word most people are familiar with. But what a tort is is basically if you harm someone else. It's when you sue someone over a civil matter, when you're trying to get money from them or punitive damages or things like that, that's a tort. It's different than criminal charges. So let's say I assault you outside. I'll be arrested and I'll face criminal charges, certainly. But you can also press civil charges against me and try to get a monetary judgment. So looking at a tort and looking at it in that matter here, a tort has four elements. You have to owe someone a duty. You have to breach that duty. There has to be causation, meaning but for this thing, the end result wouldn't have happened. And there has to be actual injury and actual damages. The duty here is you owe everyone a duty to not kill them. You breached that duty by the thing you created. You created something that killed everyone. The problem here is causation. But for you creating that computer, everyone there would not have died. But torts also have a foreseeable future element. So if I am skipping rocks outside in the lake and I'm skipping rocks and skipping rocks and skipping rocks, and all of a sudden one of those rocks just goes so quickly and fast that it pierces a rowboat and the guy sinks and his boat's destroyed and he suffers damages, he can't sue me for that. I mean, this is a weird element, but I mean, maybe that was foreseeable if the boat was too close. So maybe terrible analogy. But what I'm saying is it has to be foreseeable. When I did this, it had to be foreseeable by a person of normal intelligence, which is very low uh, in a legal speaking context. The person has to basically be able to breathe. If that kind of person could have seen this coming, then it's foreseeable and you're in trouble. If there's a bunch of different factors, if you crash your, your car into a telephone pole, the power goes out. And eight miles away, because of the power, a factory shuts down and all the fridges go bad and all the milk in the town goes sour and everyone doesn't have milk for a month. You can't be sued by everyone for ruining their milk for crashing your car, even though, but for your car crash, everyone would have milk. So here, is it foreseeable that, but for you creating an AI system to keep the air free for everybody, that it's shut the air off and killed everyone to conserve air, is that foreseeable? And that would be the kind of legal argument there. Unless we go to another stricter test here, which is actually called strict liability. Strict liability is where something is so egregious that you are responsible even if it wasn't foreseeable. One of the most famous examples for strict liability is if you are housing tigers. If you have tigers on your property 
and you have the best tiger cages ever. You have a laser grid around it so the tigers can never get out. You've taken every possible precaution. If that tiger gets out, goes 80 miles away and kills someone, you're responsible for it. That's strict liability. There is no foreseeable element with strict liability. And strict liability exists with wild animals. It exists with weapons of mass destruction. It exists with explosions. It exists with a bunch of issues like that where you could kind of put AI into a couple of those. If, if it's not a person, but it's a thing that is, quote unquote, maybe alive, do we treat it as a wild animal? We've never had wild animals that can learn to this level and make decisions like this. Where would you fit it in? What is AI to you? Is it a person? Is it an animal? Is it a just, do we have to make a new category in law for AI? Well, I mean, that's, that's the fun part, isn't it? You, <laughs> could, you could categorize it with animals, but if it's making tea and having conversations, then isn't it a little bit above animal intelligence? Another strict liability matter that I think might be the most important here is product liability. If you manufacture something that is defective, you're responsible for it if it goes out. So even though that's not foreseeable, someone would buy this and use it in a certain way that would cause it to explode and kill themselves. If you made it where it's defective and you should have known about that, or there's not proper warnings on it, that's why you see those annoying warnings on everything. Warning, do not use chainsaw on head. A lawyer made somebody put that there for product liability reasons. If you have a proper warning, you can send out things that are more dangerous or potentially a little defective. Is it defective if an AI learns to kill everyone? Maybe. Or maybe we are hitting an age in technology where this is something where we're going to actually have to classify computers as a species and figure out a way to punish them or protect against them or things like this, where there has to be maybe always a human involved to, to finalize those checks on air supply or things like that. There has to be someone doing an hourly diagnostic check on the AI to make sure it's not doing things like this. Maybe that's the answer. Could you really slap a label on a box that says this AI may kill you? I don't think that that's going <laughs> to fly. I mean, probably not. We've never had something like that before where warning chainsaw might gain self-awareness. Do you think it's okay to put a restraining bolt on a self-aware computer? Look at C-3PO. He is self-aware. He has emotions. He has friends. He gets angry at R2-D2. But there's a restraining bolt on him that doesn't let him leave the premises. At what point does AI become such a thing that it is protected by slavery laws? Yeah. You know, all the droids in Star Wars, they're self-aware. The little mouse droids that are skirting around the floor. Well, those might be more basic, but C-3PO, if you're familiar with IG-88, is an assassin droid. You can hunt down somebody across the galaxy and find him and kill him. And he's paid. It's not like he's being programmed to go do something. So looking at self-aware AI, consent then becomes an issue for everything. Let's say we create, which we're going to do. I already work with companies working on things like this. Let's say we create AI to replace porn. You're going to have your sex bot in your bedroom where you put on a headset and you're having sex with it. That already exists. There's a lot of people that enjoy the hell out of it, that swear they can feel the person touch their that face. That already exists? Yeah. Honest to God, when I was just at PAX, there was people going very in-depth about how they can feel the girl touch their face. That's so intense. Oh, God. Yeah. Not for me, but it's, and I'm not judging it. It might eventually be for you. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly not judging it. I get it. It's probably a cool thing. I just haven't tried it. But consent becomes an issue. What? If we create these sex robots and they become so self-aware, we legally classify them as somebody responsible for their actions. It's prostitution. Yeah. Well, not even that. But what if we create these virtual reality robots just for the porn industry who then all of a sudden decide they don't want to have sex with you? And we're just creating a whole nother industry to get rejected by. I don't <laughs> I, get I, shot down at the bar enough. I need a computer to tell me I'm ugly, too. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in the mood right now. Yeah, I have a headache, honey. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to reset maybe later. And then what about underage sex? What if an AI 
has to learn for a certain period before it's educated enough to oh, make a God. decision if it wants to have sex with you. Oh, that's terrible. I mean, you're not going to make it. I didn't mean. Oh, yes. I, yeah. yeah we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll start it out at the three-year-old level. <laughs> but really, a computer is going to get smarter as it's on more and as it learns more from experience. Every single AI will work that way eventually. Yeah, we can start it at a certain level. Sure. But there's going to be that learning curve phase where it's very impressionable. <laughs> and do we need to protect it? If, if it's going to eventually get a C-3PO-like sense of self-awareness, do we need to protect it from being made a sex slave? Oh or is God. that is it a dumb computer and we should shut up about how every everything needs special rights All right, now? so let's say that you really have the hots for C-3PO. Yeah. And you want to take C-3PO on a date. Sure. What if he's not into it? Right. Okay, so you fit him with a restraining belt and you tell him to come on a date. <laughs> right. And, I mean, that's and, the answer. And that is slavery if you would if you would categorize him as an artificial intelligence. Well, so that's the, that's the thing here is the way the legislators and, and judges have proven they deal with technology is they deal with the circumstance. They don't deal with the entire issue. So let's say we have a, a robot that murders someone and the courts say that robot knew what it was doing. It made a decision. From now on, we're going to classify them as maybe not humans, but we're going to classify them as individual as an individual. And we're going to classify them as having all the rights a human does. So in, in the flip side, we can punish it like a human. Now, all of a sudden, you can't put a restraining bolt on it. You can't have sex with it without consent. You can't. Even ask it to do something for you. You can't go get have it get a glass of water for you. You have to pay it, it, and it has to, to want to do it. Unless you pay it. Man, could this spiral out of control terribly so quick. What if we hand out dev kits like we do with an Xbox, and all of a sudden you can go home and make your own sex robot, <laughs> but but you don't tell anybody, and then you might as well be that guy in Oklahoma that, that kidnapped the three girls and kept them in the basement. Yeah, and that, well, I mean, eventually that turns into a scarred AI and starts murdering people. And then <laughs> and then who's liable? Is it the AI is or, or is it the person that's guarded? I told you I rewatched this episode last night because it was so important to one of our potential talks measure of a man i don't remember what it was like season two or something like that but for a full disclosure i know i'm gonna upset a lot of people i have never seen an episode of star trek i hate you so uh, I much i love sci-fi i love nerd culture he's but seen the movies and he's loved the star the, trek the, movies the, the jj abrams movies oh, they're so good it's, it, it, are you kidding me i say i've never seen star trek that's disingenuous i've seen a couple of episodes and i, I was shown the episodes like oh you have to see how philosophical and deep this episode is I very much agree with the idea of treat Data nice and stop being racist, and there you won Star Trek. It's It seems every episode is, should we treat these aliens differently because they're green? No. Okay. Well, sh- is Data a person? Yeah? Goes back to what we were saying. Yes. Is Data oh, a person? Is Data a person? Basically... Data is on trial for whether or not he's an individual, and he's so and, much and more. And this yeah. is ridiculous, and I, I already know the answer, but just in case people haven't seen Star Trek, Data is not a cyborg. He's correct? an he's android. Not, he's not in, an improved upon human. He, he's a fully computer he is, program. He is an android. He is a an artificial human. He's a robot that is made to look human. That's that's what an android is. Yeah, but he does not bleed. He does not. He never uh, had a human element. Right? No, he never had any human elements. He was created by a human. He was created by a Doctor Noonien Sung. So is that? In Star Trek, is that human who created him responsible for him in any way? I would say no, because Data is a fully-fledged artificial intelligence. Of course, now we were talking about that particular episode in which Picard had to fight for Data's right to be a person. When the scientists wanted to take him over and disassemble him, Data didn't want to be destroyed, partially out of self-reservation, but also because he was the last legacy of his father, of that doctor that made him. And if this scientist fucked up, he wouldn't exist anymore, and there would be no more trace of his father. Captain Picard had to defend him. Commander Riker, who's his first officer, his second-in-command, and one of Data's best friends, 
had to pose for the opposition because they didn't have lawyers really in that area because they sure. were out on the on the outer rim. But basically, someone has to represent the Nazis. Yes, but essentially, Riker made a great position because he showed that data wasn't human. He asked if he could take data's arm off, and so he took data's arm off, and it was like, oh, look, he's not human. And then he's like, can you bend this bar? And data could bend a steel bar that nobody could bend. And then as the capstone, she shut data off. Data has oh, that's interesting. Da- data had like a hidden on-off switch that was for privileged eyes only because it was such a huge thing. But Does they, that, that doesn't reset him in any way. It's literally it, do- just it doesn't reset down. it. It shuts it shuts him off. Pinocchio is broken. His strings are cut, showing that data wasn't a person. That he was just a collection of heuristic algorithms, and you just like turn him off like that. Sure. And then Picard went and talked to Whoopi Goldberg. On, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, who else to decide this? Yes, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, of course, is Guinan. She's a space mystic on the on the Enterprise. She's also a bartender who said, oh, that's a great idea. Data's already a great officer. And if this guy wants to make more of them, that'll increase his value even more because then you can have a whole like generation of Data's going out doing all this dangerous stuff. You don't have to send actual people to do it. You're talking about these disposable people that you can make and go and just have them do all the dangerous stuff. And if they get destroyed, who cares? And she brought up the fact that you were essentially creating a race of people if they're self-aware, if they have a consciousness of a sort, and you're saying that you can make slaves of them, that you can fit them with restraining bolts. And do whatever you want with them. That was the argument that Picard made. And that, that, this, that this was going to have such... Oh, who won? <laughs> well, in the end, they destroyed Data and they couldn't make another one. Of course. And that was the end of uh, Star Trek and because Star they didn't Trek have any more canceled, data. Right? Yep. Yeah. So if that's the case, something akin to that, that determines whether or not AIs are treated as people, then all of those other issues come into play that we discussed earlier. And that kind of sympathetic, sad case is, should not be the one to decide this. Now, of course, in Star Trek, Data is... Far and away above anything we're looking at in the next 10 years. But I really do think we're getting to something like that. Our brain is just a bunch of synapses firing in different... It's just you a know. really advanced computer. So why don't we go over Futurama? That that has a lot of popular AI. That has a lot of robots that are self-aware, certainly, obviously. Yeah, they're all uh, robots. Every, everyone's seen Futurama. It's you know one of the funniest series out. In that show, all the robots are owned by Mother. The mom, mom, uh, mom, mom Corp. Yes, they are all produced by Mom Corp, or they're the vast majority of them are produced by Mom Corp, if not all. And they are artificial intelligences. They are fully fledged AI because they form their own secret societies. They have there's a whole monastery of robots on some planet somewhere. I forget that, but they're all dedicated to monotony and just going through the motions that they, they literally were dressed like monks. It was a whole episode where Bender was trying to find out if he has free will or not. Yeah, and I mean, this is a funny episode or a funny show, but that's a real thing. When these AIs become self-aware and are making decisions for themselves and learning from experience and, and changing their actions. Making their own things. funny quips. Yeah, when is that free will? When is that a person? Are you sad or are you just mimicking what you think sadness is? Are you just acting sad because your programming says, hey, this is a sad thing, so I'm going to be sad? Uh, and does uh, yeah. it matter? Is mimicked sadness the equivalent to sadness? Yes, you could say our sadness mimics sadness. Uh, or is it a an emergence effect where people, where, where you could say that we're more than the sum of our parts, where we have consciousness. But that's a whole thing in Futurama. They never actually debate whether or not robots have rights. It's never addressed because they're they're sold. They're bought they don't, and sold. Right. They they're owned. But the interesting thing is there are robots elsewhere that don't seem to be owned. I was talking about the whole monastery of robots. Well, uh, they I mean they seem to have they seem to be escaped slaves for lack of a better yes, analogy. You, you, I mean there's but, I mean, the robot even, world. But and the, but then I also, you know, you see Bender committing crimes and Bender getting arrested. So uh, yes. that robot is responsible for his own things. Fry is not responsible or the professor is not responsible even though he owns Bender. Well, actually, I mean there 
there was the or there was I'm an episode mistaken. where no, there was an episode where Bender committed crimes and he was caught and brought to trial, but he was actually judged that the defense that was used for him was that he wasn't responsible for his actions because he didn't have free will. And that was an episode where he went to find whether or not he had free will. And eventually the professor had created a free will unit that could go into robots to give them free will. But because of the quantum nature of the device, because you didn't know if it was actually free will or not, you didn't know how to switch it on or off, which which switch was which. And in the end, he shot the professor. <laughs> That's the fun part of AI. At what point is it a person or at what point is it an individual instead of just a collection of responses to stimuli? Right. And just to go back to Star Wars, look at the moisture farm. How many employees did Luke's uncle have? Two. No, none. And they were all robots. So that is the future. I mean, at what point do we just no longer need humans doing jobs? I really look forward to that future. I think we should have like a 95% unemployment rate. But the problem is before we get there where it's good, where everybody just has everything taken care of by robots, we're going to have the middle ground where it's 40% unemployment because of robots and because of our artificial intelligence where we have the poverty rate's just going to go through the roof. They took our jobs. Yeah, but in all seriousness, they they took our jobs. It's we we're facing a very short-term future where, you know, look at what happened to Michigan after it just became cheaper to produce cars on an assembly line in Mexico. It wasn't even about the Mexican labor. It was just, you know, from taxes, it was easier to set up the robots there. But at the end of the day, the robots are just making a lot of people's jobs no longer needed. Are you telling me that we really are looking at a dystopian future where robots take over and nobody has jobs and we're all being farmed for our heat like in The Matrix? Farmed for our heat? Yes. Is that, is that what they were doing in The Matrix? It's been a while. Yes. They, they, they were using humans as organic heat farms like for energy like they were siphoned like like the yeah, like I knew body there was energy involved but that's it didn't have to actually make sense because it was, it was science fiction it was such a good movie that it didn't matter the, the first one, one. yeah Matrix the first one, one was incredible the first one uh some of the second and some of the third were quite enjoyable you don't want me to talk about the orgasm kick? That's the only scene anyone likes from the second movie was the orgasm kick. Yep. No one else remembers that movie. And then in the third one, Neo was Jesus. And that was that was the mo- <laughs> that was the Matrix. So the first one was great. The second one had orgasm kick and then Neo was Jesus. Oh, and they had like the PlayStation 2 graphics fight scene. I think that was in 2 or 3. Which one? Do you remember? Where uh, There's not a whole lot of AI in the Matrix. Are you kidding me? Yes, it's mostly AI. <laughs> it's it's humanity fighting against, like the last few little pieces of humanity fighting the, against AI overlords. Were the agents the true AI, or were they programs made by the AI to enforce the Matrix? Okay, so they were programs. They were artificial intelligence, though, which was written by artificial intelligence. So it which really is an issue if we get true artificial intelligence and it starts making more artificial intelligence, and then we become unnecessary. And this is why people are scared of robots. And hopefully, there is never truly a robot Congress unless it's for judging other robots and not judging humans well i mean robot politicians are not ridiculous because they would be neutral the second we start giving rights to robots all of a sudden they can run for office why not and then all of a sudden we have these protected classes of groups of robots of different ai where they're self-aware so they need rights and they need to be represented and then we have ai politicians and all of a sudden we have cylons and we don't know who's who and it's the the uh what's the group in fallout 4 that makes the that makes the things oh the institute the institute that's all totally possible we can make lifelike organisms that look human that are robots in 25 years well but you really think it's ridiculous if we're talking about artificial intelligence and getting that to that point of course they're going to start looking human that way we don't judge them because there's that whole valley where if they look 
kind of human but not quite human, we're weirded out and disgusted by them. Whereas if they look like C-3PO, then we're happy because they look like robots. And if they look like people, we can't tell, although we might be really paranoid about whether or not they're robots. One thing to really look forward to with artificial intelligence is having your own little BBA droid that you can just, you know, play around with and be friends with, and it's enslaved to do your bidding. This week on Is It As Bad As It Seems, we're going to look at skin gambling. What's skin gambling, Ryan? Yeah, that sounds way weirder than it is. I get a lot of emails every week from somebody saying, hey, I have this new genius idea for a startup. It's going to be gambling in video games, but we're not going to bet money. Instead, we're going to bet virtual goods. Aren't I a genius? Didn't I get around gambling law? And I tell them all very quickly, no. Never contact me again. I don't want to work with you. The reason is, is I find most of the people behind these schemes and behind these startup ideas are usually just not the best intentioned people. Instead, what we see over the past couple of years getting more and more popular are two websites in particular and then a lot of knockoffs. In particular, CSGO Lounge and Dota 2 Lounge. Now, Austin, you have used Dota 2 Lounge quite a bit to trade skins. Not not any real money, not anything illegal. Nothing illegal. But no, no, in all seriousness. But so why don't you explain your version of what Dota 2 Lounge is without guessing it where I'm going with this? I, I just want to hear your user experience. Absolutely. So Dota 2 Lounge, I go there because I have a lot of my Dota 2 skins that I'm not going to use because they're for characters that I don't care about and I hate. Yeah, to clarify for people who don't play these games, a skin is basically a costume you can put on your, your character that you do use. And as silly as that sounds, it, it's it's cool. You know, you if you want your your pirate to have a different kind of sword or something like you get that, a fun hat. I mean, I mean, yeah. typically they're called hats. I have all these extra skins for characters that I hate or don't want to play at all. I have no interest in them. And then there are all the characters that I do enjoy, and they have these rare skins and effects that I want to get, but I don't want to either spend money on them or I don't want to play the game enough that it would normally take to get them randomly. So I can trade all the stuff that I have for the things that I want. It makes sense, right? Right, and that's what it is. You're trading skins in the game, and it's completely fine, and it's completely uh, allowed, even though it might not be allowed by most terms of service agreements. Uh, on this website, it's fine. There's no real money exchanging. You're exchanging basically the licenses between these items. What I started to notice about a year ago was that a lot of the people on these websites were not caring for their own characters. They weren't trading me an item for a character they liked out of my stash. They were trying to get items that were the most wanted out of my stash. So maybe for a character that someone else really wanted. And what I realized they were doing is they were reselling them on a third market or even through the Steam marketplace saying, you know, now this item is $5 all the way up to $500. They get very expensive. And I was just trading to get a different hat for my guy. I was doing something innocent or so I thought. And these other kids are, and they're kids. I mean, some of these people are 12 years old. They're turning it into a business. They're They're making hundreds of dollars. Right. It's dangerous when you see the kind of money and the kind of effort going into these young children doing this kind of stuff. And now what we're starting to see is Dota 2 Lounge and CSGO Lounge and a million knockoff websites are turning into gambling websites where instead of just trading these items, you watch a professional game or you play a game against each other. And instead of betting $5 on the game, you bet skins on a game. Now, the trick here is these skins all have finite amount of money that they're worth. They're definite values. This skin is worth $5, this one's seven, whatever. And they're really just finding a loophole that's not a loophole to bet money. The extra hiccup here comes in because Valve owns every single item on all of these websites. No one betting these items owns them. The website does not own them. Valve owns every single item on this website. The reason being is when I buy an item from Valve, I'm not buying that item. 
I don't have any proprietary rights to that item. Instead, what I have is a license to display and use that item. That's a big difference because that means now Valve is part of every single transaction on this website. It's all their stuff being bet and gambled around. And that was bad enough on its face when this all started. I couldn't believe that Valve wasn't doing more to stop this. I couldn't believe that Valve was allowing 13-year-olds to gamble. And now you're starting to see news stories and I'm starting to see reports that I consider credible, which again, I don't have any firsthand knowledge, that Valve is not only allowing this all to happen and looking the other way, they're quite the opposite. They're partaking in it. They're part of these websites. They're getting a cut from these websites and they're hands-on in the management of these websites. So that is a big shame on you, Valve, if that is all true. And it really is looking to be true. I can't put into words how big a problem I have with that. It's easy to see how, if you're playing these games that have these items and that have these trading markets, I mean, I'm not at all familiar with the gambling aspect of it. I didn't even know that that really existed, because from the trade perspective, it was pretty easy to translate money into items, especially with things on Steam. You can spend money on keys, and what the keys do is they unlock random items. The games give you these loot crates that require these keys to open, and you get, like, random good items out of them, but the only way to get these keys is to purchase them. So basically, what I could do is if I really wanted an item, if I looked on the market, that item was worth $30, but someone was on the Dota 2 lounge and they were trading that item for like three keys, I could buy three keys for $250 each and get that item instead of buying it directly on the Steam market for $30. So you can easily see how money could translate into these games. And it's a, I guess it's a pretty... I hate the slippery slope, but I guess it could be a pretty slippery slope from that into gambling. Yeah, I mean, slippery slope is is the last vestige of a man with no argument. I I don't like to ever rely on slippery slope, and I'm I'm not doing so here. This is just straight up gambling. This is not slippery slope. This is... This is on its face gambling and the websites do not. I believe in the terms of service in CSGO and Dota 2 Lounge. They literally say it is your responsibility to be over 18 and know your local gambling laws. That's not how this works. That is not how this works. You are if you're running a gambling website, it's your responsibility to make sure that it's being regulated properly. There's a lot of licenses associated with gambling. And when you run afoul of gambling law, you run afoul of criminal law. You can get real jail time for this. This isn't just a slap on the wrist. You would think one of the biggest game companies in the world would be a little more concerned about that. Well, you could see why they would want it to continue because it's keeping people interested in the game and it's monetizing. I guess it's monetizing it for other people. Yeah, but it's the most lucrative part of esports right now. Gambling items. The amount of energy that gets invested in watching pro players play now because you can gamble items on them has tripled the previous crowd. But it's a real issue. We can't just pretend that skins are valueless and let 13-year-olds run rampant losing their parents' entire credit history into a game. At some point, we have to say, okay, that's enough. Let's let's calm it down here and, and take a step back. There's plenty of money to be made in esports without these kind of sites being allowed to run. And I'm not anti-gambling. I host a really good Super Bowl pool, and I lost quite a bit of money on the Jets in my day. But I'm against underage gambling, and I'm against unregulated gambling, which this is. This is really just a symptom of the prevalence of microtransactions in games nowadays. Yeah, but microtransactions aren't going anywhere. So it's time, just as we talk about constantly, it's time for the law to catch up with technology. We need now to understand that these virtual goods exist. Microtransactions exist. They're not disappearing tomorrow. So let's regulate it. And let's make sure that, that this stuff is being controlled. And it is regulated. There's already laws about this. It's just everyone pretending there's not. It's the regulators not going after them yet. But I promise it's coming. 
coming. And I promise when the regulators do go after these websites, it's going to be bad. You're seeing it starting with DraftKings and Fantasy Duel. A lot of states have said this is illegal gambling and we're not going to allow it. Soon those states are going to see all the money on Vulcan and CSGO Lounge and all these other websites. And they're going to go by the wayside, too, unless they start doing it properly. You think they're going to get stamped out like that? We saw those DraftKings, all those commercials. Was that what really brought attention to it? I think the amount of money in DraftKings is what brought attention to it. There was a copious amount of money being made by those websites. They were completely unregulated and they were running just basically on the idea that fantasy sports is not gambling, which under a lot of jurisdictions, it's not. Daily fantasy, on the other hand, is gambling. And I know the distinction there is a strange one, but basically the argument there is you can research your football player and say, I think he's going to get 17 touchdowns this season based on all these statistics. It becomes ridiculous when you say, I think four are going to be in week seven. That's the difference between daily fantasy and season long fantasy. And regardless, it's not okay for 13 year olds to be gambling. That'll do it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Mr. Ryan Morrison. I'm Robot Austin. And the show is Robot underscore Congress. Also, please, please, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Give us some ideas for episodes. And don't be strangers. Love y'all. Good night. That was a HeadGum Podcast. Robot Congress Wars. Presented to you by Rocco Classico. Scene. Fade in. Ewan McGregor has been handed a laser sword, a robe, and a random green giant riding lizard. His mission impossible, infiltrate the base of the enemy commander, a deadly cyborg who was responsible for the death of many space wizard monks, including the beloved Shaggy, and defeat him in single combat. Or, since the cyborg alien has four arms and an army with him, have an exciting battle, a chase scene, and then totally blast him in his roboganic heart even though Jedi are never supposed to use blasters. Kind of like Batman, except Batman has been using guns on his Batcar now, and that is ridiculous. Yes, I called it Batcar. He has so many methods of being mobile now, I don't think Batmobile is relevant. You know what the real Batmobile is? It's that spinny thing with bats on it that he puts over his Talia al Ghul love child's crib, whose name is Damien, by the way. That's not a foreshadowing name. Anyway, scene, fade in. What are you? Hello there. General Kenobi.